I'd like to talk about uh, the two factors of enlightenment, uh, tranquility and concentration. I think concentration is your best friend. Everybody wants to get concentration. Everybody complains, I can't concentrate. Nobody complains about not being mindful. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's just been going on and on. Bante, I can't concentrate. <laughs> well, concentration comes due to causes and conditions. So you have to do your homework. Uh, how many of you came here and think that uh, uh, awakening is just uh, like this, instant, kind of microwave? <laughs> Just press the button. Well, it seems that uh, enlightenment and awakening is a gradual process. You must have realized that, I think, already. It's, it's a process. And there's beauty in that process. It's a journey. It's an adventure. It's not a destination, but... The, the, the journey itself is part of our, what we are doing here. So enjoy the journey. It's full of, it's full of adventure. Just to continue uh, what other teachers have um, mentioned already, uh, I'll start with uh, tranquility. The Buddha said, for one whose mind is uplifted by joy, the body and the mind becomes Tranquil. So you have already covered joy. So it's really a continuation of that unfolding process. So the function of uh, tranquility is to calm the body and mind. So here, then you have two kinds of tranquility. One is uh, tranquility of the body. Actually, this means a mental body, not only physical, not physical body. That's mean, that means feelings, uh, perception, and volition formations or mental formations. The second tranquility is a tranquility of the mind. That means a consciousness. And tranquility is the opposite of uh, restlessness and worry. Actually, if you want to define things properly, it's always to define things in terms of what it's not. Because I don't know whether you have experienced tranquility. <laughs> have you? <laughs> but at least I can tell you what it's not. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's not restlessness and worry. <laughs> I think you can relate to that very well. You are not the only one in that club. <laughs> we are so much conditioned with all our day life. When we go shopping, we look at this, we look at that. And so our mind is like a monkey, actually. Uh, monkey mind. At our Uganda Buddhist Center, we have monkeys. So it's amazing to watch them eating potatoes and 
And so they scratch their head and they look here and over there. So every time they're just really jacking, making these jacking movements. Uh, at one campsite, as I had a mobile temple, I had no temple, so I was staying in a mobile temple. <laughs> it was a tent really given from there. <laughs> so what to do? Only monk, only Buddhist, <laughs> so there's no temple. <laughs> so I, I stayed in a mobile temple. <laughs> so I made research and development how to modify Buddhism so it's no, we can be in a mobile temple. It's easier, but of course trained and of course uh, sometime I had to leave my mobile temple at 3 a.m. Very early in the morning I just meditate. But when I stayed in that campsite there were many monkeys and one, one time it picked a phone, a mobile phone and climbed on a tree and start placing the numbers. <laughs> and as it is placing, it's just looking all the time like this to see if there's somebody seeing it. Why should the monkey worry to be seen <laughs> making phone calls? And then this phone starts vibrating and dropped it down like this. So our mind is like that, always agitated. I don't know. It happens to me definitely. Yeah, being a monk is not an excuse <laughs> to feel this uh, kind of uh, emotions. One time, I can give you an example. One time, I went to Thailand on a conference, the United Nations conference, on a Buddha's day. It's called Buddha Mass. I think you're familiar with that. That's the equivalent of Christmas. So the king <laughs> uh, celebrated Buddha Mass <laughs> by throwing a party, <laughs> invited all monks. So anyway, and nuns and all that. So it was uh, in Bangkok. So as it was a king's birthday combined with the Buddha Mass, so he really treated the uh, monks and nuns who came to the conference. So. He gave us, uh, I think it's called King Palace Hotel. It's just a really amazing place. So I stayed almost five days in Bangkok. Really, uh, I was bombarded with all these senses, you know. Coming from Bhavana Society, which is a forest monastery, where I live quietly, and all, the all of a sudden, in, with all these things going on, and the conference, giving talks. And so at the end of the conference, I said, let me give myself a holiday. So I decided to fly in Ubon, that's Ajahn Cha. Uh, Ajahn Cha is a monk who used to live uh, many years ago. So he has a monastery over there. So I decided to visit a friend of mine for three days. And uh, they have three monasteries there. I visited them. One is called Wat Pananacha. Some of the Western monks have trained there, like Ajahn Somedo. Most of the monks you know here, like Ajahn Amaro, they have trained there. So I said, okay, I'm going to treat myself. I read a story that monks in Thailand, they stay in a forest, they meditate in all weird places uh, with all lions and all these animals. I say, go for it. <laughs> Just be like the monks in Thailand. So as I was eating, eating, and uh, one monk said, have you ever seen a ghost? I say, I've never seen a ghost. I always hear people talking about ghosts. So I, I told him, can you take me to see them? They say, yes, come on, don't worry, I'll show you. 
So this monk, he didn't speak enough English, actually. Somebody had to translate for me. So uh, it was, uh, of course, approaching to the day I have to take my flight back to Uganda. So I told him, please, when we go to see the, uh, this ghost, you have to pick me up at around midnight, positively, don't me, because I have to fly. So then we went and he took me to a cemetery. This cemetery, they don't bury dead bodies. They just throw them all over there if, if they die by accident. So he left me there <laughs> in the middle of a forest. He said, okay, you want to see ghosts? Okay. I tell you, I was so restless. Something I wanted to do to be happy, to be tranquil and concentrate. And, uh, I just ended up being restless, just so agitated. I said, maybe it was a bad choice I made. <laughs> Maybe, hope this is not a bad choice for you to come here to meditate and feel restlessness. Really, I thought it's a really bad th thought. I goofed, really. So, <laughs> so I sat and meditated, and I told him to put a tent, uh, I mean a mosquito net. But since there was no communication, he didn't speak English. He, I just, he just communicated by body uh, activities. And they, please put a tent here, put a mosquito net. He said, no, no, no. He just pointed to an empty hut, and uh, it's full of holes. So mosquito came, and with my bald head, they start biting me. I start worrying, getting dingy. I just come from Africa, <laughs> malaria. I said, what's going on? I want to concentrate. I couldn't concentrate. <laughs> then it was in the middle of night, then branches. I had all the sounds from the forest. Every branch that fell down, even a leaf, I could hear it. I was so restless and very attentive. Then I start worrying, is this monk going to come for me to pick me up or not? <laughs> or maybe he forgot. Maybe he thought next day <laughs> he has to pick me. I'm going to miss my flight. <laughs> then all of a sudden I thought I start thinking of lions. <laughs> maybe. So maybe the lion is going to come and eat me. <laughs> I've never seen such a, mind, a restless mind. I say, what this mind, what's going on in this mind? So I come down reflecting on qualities of the Buddha, sending metta and all that. Then I had somebody coming, but I think this monk wanted to scare me, but it's against our rule <laughs> to scare another monk. I said, no, he cannot do it. <laughs> but on the way, he had shown me, oh, there's another dead body over there. They don't cremate it. It's over there. So he, he tried to tell me like that. Okay, so maybe that's a ghost coming. Then I said, oh no, I'm a monk. So it will be afraid of a monk, I think. <laughs> and then I, I just stopped meditating. I just went for walking meditation. <laughs> that's not tranquility, I tell you. <laughs> that's something, <laughs> something else. Have you had this experience? Maybe it's personal to me. <laughs> Some of you think that when you become a monk, all you blot all this out from your experience. Really, they come. The only way is how to deal with them. So I, I decided to be mindful, and I sat down and meditated. And then actually I started feeling calmness by, by just being mindful of restlessness, restlessness. But I had to do it many times. I nearly even screamed, restlessness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
restlessness is a really nagging uh, mind state, and the opposite of that is tranquility. And I think in your meditation you had such moments, I think. They might be freak, uh, very uh, short moments, but you have these moments, but it's very difficult to recognize it. And one time I went to a Sado Pandita and uh, I was reporting in my interview. And then uh, say, when I was reporting, I, I really explained in words what I was experiencing. He said, did you note it in less calmness? Because we always not only negative uh, mind states, but when we have positive states, we forget it. Let's say when we have joy, when we have tranquility, when you have uh, these positive states like a pleasant feeling, we don't really become mindful of that. We just become mindful of, okay, restlessness and uh, maybe pain. Though that's all what we are doing, uh, people who are trying to meditate. But what, are the, what about other mental states? We should also be mindful of those mental states. So whenever you have a sense of uh, calmness, uh, so the practice is always to make a mental note calmness, be mindful of its presence. So it's very, very important. Otherwise, you're just only uh, rolling a boat from one side, only one side, going in circles. So you have to roll the positive mental states, the negative mental states, even neutral mental states, uh, like uh, uh, Gina gave some uh, instructions today about uh, uh, these uh, uh, neutral feelings. So it's very, very important to take care of all these Anyway, the, uh, the monk picked me in a, a little bit of uh, right time. <laughs> According to Thai time, he stretched a little bit <laughs> to end the story. <laughs> so he picked me, and I was very, very happy. <laughs> I, did miss, I didn't see ghost, and then they asked me, did you say ghost? I said, oh, I thought you, you med your meditation is very good. That's why you didn't see the ghost. I said, no, I was restless. <laughs> So what are the instructions we have in uh, the Four Foundation of Mindfulness, uh, according to the Buddha? Uh, whenever, uh, this is his instruction in that sutta, he said that whenever tranquility, a factor of enlightenment is present, we should be mindful of its presence. When it's absent, we should know that it's absent. That's the first instruction. It's very, very important. Sometimes we get lost in some kind of uh, tormenting mindsets. And when we come back and uh, we don't notice that usually, we always judge ourselves, uh, try to compare other, with others. Maybe other people are just very, very good meditators. I'm a bad yogi. I've been lost for uh, 30 minutes. But in the instruction, when Buddha said that whenever this mind state is, not, is absent, you should also be mindful. It's very, very important to note that whenever you get lost, you may be restless, you have a lot of restlessness, and then you come back, you should be aware that there is mindfulness that really helps you to know that you have not been having this kind of mind state. I don't know whether that makes sense. It's the mindfulness, because mindfulness means to remember. So if you have been lost and remember that, okay, now I'm meditating. I'm here at the Spirit Rock meditating. 
Yes, I meditated. You remember. <laughs> Though you are not at that moment gone to these other states of mind, but that remembering itself is also part of mindful. So don't judge yourself harshly that, okay, I've been lost forever or for 30 minutes. Now when I come back the breath, uh, I, I haven't been mindful. That remembrance, if you remember that subtle point, that remembering that I've been really lost is also part of mindful. So then all our experience blend together, whether you, you don't have tranquility, whether you have tranquility. It's really amazing how mindfulness can go anywhere. So, then this, uh, of course, uh, the third instruction. We know the first instruction is just to, be, to know the presence of, uh, of tranquility. The second is to know the absence. Uh, but if you really find struggling to know that, don't worry, it will come. When, the, when you have mindfulness, things will just come, basically. So, uh, the third is you should understand how there comes to be the arising of unreason, uh, tranquility, effect of enlightenment. So we should know how it arose uh, when you have tranquility. We should know the condition that led to its arising. And the fourth instruction is uh, how the arisen tranquility effect of enlightenment comes to fulfillment and develop, uh, by development. So this is a standard instruction, and I think uh, I, I'd like to go over the third and the fourth because it's very, very important. The Buddha talked about uh, one cause and condition for the arising of uh, uh, tranquility. Actually, all factors of enlightenment, it's wise attention. And Pali, it's called Yonisom and Sikar, means turning the mind towards uh, uh, at that condition, the primary condition, let's say, uh, for the tranquility will be uh, tranquility of the body and tranquility of the mind. So you continue uh, steering your mind there in that direction. Uh, so it's very, very important to understand this factor, which is called wise attention. Sometimes they call it they call it proper attention. Sometimes they call it wise consideration. All it has many, many really uh, nuances, but uh, uh, it's very, very important. That factor alone can take you a long way if you become mindful of whatever is happening. Of course, it's an internal factor, but there's also another factor. Uh, Buddha gave, it's called... Uh, having a, a good friend. If you have a good friend, all these factors of enlightenment will arise naturally. So this is the general way. That's, I, I'm starting from general to, to specific. So if you have wise consideration, wise uh, attention, the, all, other, all other factors of enlightenment that we are going to cover, they just come naturally as you continue to pay wise attention to various things. And another is an external factor. Uh, is having a good friend. I think you already have good friends here, but also when you leave the, the rock, uh, go home, <laughs> you have to get some good friends. <laughs> so, because some people already are worried, uh, just in the future, they say, oh, when I go home, what's going to happen with this, these factors of enlightenment? Don't leave them at the spirit rock. Uh, don't trash them. <laughs> just go with them. 
and then find a good friend. They will remind you. So it's very important to get a good friend, a teacher, spiritual teacher, good friend. I think uh, this is very, very important because Buddha gave us internal factors that can lead us to uh, getting any factor of enlightenment. But now I'm talking specifically on tranquility and then getting a, a good friend. My teacher, Bante Gunaratana, always say excellent. Good is just mediocre. Get excellent friend, of course. <laughs> excellent friend was the Buddha, so, but now he left his teaching. The teaching can be your excellent friend. Get the best book in the store. We are going to recommend you. That can be a good companion. Not all these garbage books, you know. <laughs> won't lead you to enlightenment, probably. Just choose the best books. We will recommend you some. We've been giving instructions like mindfulness of breathing. That's what we started with. And the Buddha actually had a reason why he started with mindfulness of breathing. Because it's all there. That's what he used to attain enlightenment. Maybe some of you are wondering, what has mindfulness or breathing has to do with enlightenment? Because some people really maybe have already made this awakening and enlightenment a big project. We want to make big projects always. So maybe people think that it's not accessible. It's only just for monastics maybe people who stay in a monastery, or maybe it's just for these teachers. <laughs> they, all, they have it all together. <laughs> well, <laughs> mindfulness of anything, of, uh, at, least, at least given in the, in the, in the full foundation of mindfulness, any mindfulness you take, maybe we talked about feelings, any mindfulness, but specifically mindfulness of the body can lead you all the way to awakening. You've got already this instruction of breathing in long, breathing in, breathing in long, breathing in short. You know, I think you have already got the instruction. But in the fourth instruction there, the Buddha talked about one trains thus, I shall breathe in tranquilizing the bodily, formation, bodily formations. The fourth, he continues saying that one trains thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the bodily formations. So this bodily formations is in and out of out breath. Uh, the, that's called uh, bodily formation. So when we take a deep breath, I want to take you one so that you can feel it. Take a deep, slow breath from a diaphragm and release it. Take another one. As you take it, you think along this line, I'm tranquilizing this bodily formation. Along those lines, as you take a breath, and think along those lines, I'm tranquilizing. You don't have to say, I am. You say, you just mentally not tranquilizing mental formation. Because that's the instruction what the Buddha gave in his teaching, is that when you breathe in, you know you're breathing in long, breathing out short, breathing out 
all these things he gave, experiencing uh, the whole body, that means from the beginning, in the middle, and all the way to the end. And in the uh, last sentence, he talked about one trends, thus I shall breathe out experiencing the bodily formations, that's in and out breath. So the instructions are there to guide you that even watching the breath, it really takes you to that area. It brings you closer to, the, uh, to enlightenment. So it's not far off the mark. <laughs> so you just keep on breathing. <laughs> but make sure that you breathe deep <laughs> and slowly from the diaphragm because most people breathe from uh, the chest and they, lack, uh, they don't have enough oxygen. So when you breathe deep, not all the time, you, of course the first time you breathe deep and slowly, then you let the breath happen naturally, thinking al along those lines. But you can see the physiological effect of taking a deep breath, just a deep breath. You will be calm and peaceful, just for even a short moment. So you let go that controlling of the breath. The first two breaths you have to really control and really fill your lungs with the air and to oxygenate the blood and then release it. And then from there, you start breathing naturally, naturally, knowing that I'm tranquilizing the, the, the bodily formations. The Buddha gave us a roadmap to awakening clearly. And uh, you find it in one of uh, his books, uh, you find it in, uh, in, in long discourses of the Buddha. That's uh, called uh, Diga Nikaya. He talked about uh, the nine conditions rooted in wise consideration, paying wise attention either to the breath or whatever uh, you are mindful of. So wise attention, turning your mind again and again, has many, many benefits. One is whenever you do uh, this kind of wise consideration, your mind becomes very glad. You, so gladness arises. So from being gladdened, joy arises. From feeling joyful, one's senses, that's the mental body, are, are tranquilized. As a result of this calmness and tranquility, one feels happiness. And from happy, uh, feeling of happiness, one's mind becomes concentrated. So you can see, even when you stop here, the process seems to, seem to be oversimplistic. You just pay wise attention. But why do we make it very difficult? Everybody will get enlightened apart from me. That's what I think people always think. Enlightenment is so difficult. No, you have to do your homework, actually. So, and the homework is there. That's what we're doing here to practice. He continued, of course, saying that uh, with the mind thus concentrated, one knows and sees things as they really are. That's what we talked about, full understanding, seeing things as they really are. Not as how, what, uh, what you think they are. Not the way how you read in a newspaper, probably. <laughs> something exactly your, from your experience. Of course, Buddha points 
on uh, to the uh, to your to the direction of so you have to walk your you are way even the teachers they just point to the direction where you have to take your journey with knowing things as they really are one becomes disenchanted when one is disenchanted one is one becomes dispassionate this is not a negative state actually dispassionate the pali word is viraga viraga raga means literally means gluing so v is the opposite of that, that means non-gluing. So you don't glue things, you know. We're always gluing uh, to something. Human beings are like magnets, zap, 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 everything. <laughs> Food, everything, always there's some kind of gluing. Whatever experience we get, we glue. Super glue, it's called super glue. <laughs> Hold on. I always give people example that actually, this, our experience should be like this, like holding this pen like this, in your palm like this. So when they go, somebody takes it, it's okay. It doesn't really uh, uh, cause a, a, loss of, a lot of difficulties and reaction and tension. But what happens is in life, everything, even negative mind states, anger. It's me, I'm angry. <laughs> Drop it. People say, no, <laughs> it's me, I'm angry. <laughs> Even when somebody's trying to get it like this, then <laughs> that resistance is what makes us suffer. Can we uh, practice mindfulness so that our experiences are held lightly as you are resting on a pillow? You rest on a pillow, but you don't grasp on it. Does your head grasp on a pillow like this? It's <laughs> just resting. Very important. <laughs> By dispassionate, one is liberated. One is awakened. It's, it's just amazing. The process is all laid down there. You have a, you have a, a really, this map, you just have to, to travel. The problem, this is a big problem. We know when the Buddha laid his teaching, he gave the way how to go. Uh, and he gave you a map, he gave you a GPS, and you get from Google. Get in. This is the direction. But I, I just found out another piece to this. People think that, okay, I, I want a driver. That's really demanding a lot from the border. <laughs> so that, you've got to, they told you go to New York, and then you got the map, then you find out, I need somebody to meditate for me. <laughs> we give instruction about how to get rid of restlessness and then people say is there any better way to do it <laughs> Buddha gave uh, many, uh, many uh, really causes and conditions for tranquility to arise, but also ancient commentaries, commentators uh, <clears throat> like Buddha Gosa in the path to purification, he gave uh, some of the conditions uh, that can help you to uh, really uh, gain tranquility. Of course, uh, suitable food can be very helpful. It doesn't mean to overindulge yourself food, but get uh, suitable food. 
that uh, is a balanced diet. I think you are getting good food. Hope you're not holding on to it. <laughs> Just like this. <laughs> uh, food that, of course, uh, supports digestion. If you have a problem with the digestion, you cannot really become tranquil. Mm. Yeah, so you have to, uh, to drink a lot of water and work on your digestion so that you have very good bowel movement. So when, you, when you see it, you can cons uh, uh, gain uh, tranquility. With the another point is a suitable climate. Of course, you don't have to worry. We have wonderful weather here, air condition. No excuse. No excuse. <laughs> you can meditate very well. And at least you can blame your mind, but not spirit rock. <laughs> I was challenged one time I was practicing Brahma. Uh, <clears throat> I think it was 2004. Six. The time ran very fast. That's where I met Larry there, actually. So uh, if, uh, it was a two months of meditation in, at Pandita Rama with Sado Pandita. So my in teacher, uh, interviewer, asked me, is everything okay? I said, yes, everything's okay. Uh, but it's very hot. <laughs> you know, the heat was crushing. It was very oppressive. Even with my African upbringing, <laughs> I thought I'm tough enough. <laughs> and I had spent five years in India, actually. Five years in India with a summer, which, like, sometimes it's 45 degrees Celsius in New Delhi. I don't know, in Fahrenheit, somewhere around 100, something like that. I thought that I, I really developed enough muscles to face any kind of heat. I'm telling you, I stayed in the United States. I got spoiled, spoiled myself rotten, <laughs> staying at Bavana Society in all this uh, West Virginia weather, very cold. So I got spoiled being this weather with air condition. I went to Burma. <laughs> I had forgotten all the five years and all the 23 years I spent in Africa. I couldn't meditate well. So my teacher told me, oh, oh, hot, yeah, it's hot. He said, I tell you one thing, there's even more heat that you have, the heat of greed, hatred, and delusion, that's burning more than this heat outside. Since he told me that, I never cared about the heat from outside. People used to give me umbrellas. I don't know, it's amazing. People. Three people, this is a retreat, they are not supposed to talk. And everybody was coming with that umbrella. <laughs> Bante. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> when you have meditated well, you've done your homework, especially meditation on the body, of course, you shouldn't make fuss about the heat. There is a heat that really has a priority. <laughs> That's the heat of greed, hatred, and fear that's burning us, and there's no peace. Even when we give you everything in the world, whether millions of dollars, the best, whatever, everything we give you, but if that heat is still there, you can't meditate, you're complaining, everything is going on wrong, and all that thing is because of the heat inside. 
So, but of course you should work on your uh, external condition to be comfortable for meditation, but don't forget that heat. Buddha talked about we are burning with fire, the fire of greed, hatred, and delusion. Balancing your energy can also be very helpful uh, in order to, uh, uh, to have this kind of calmness. Uh, we know, of course, when you, we, we have given you instructions here, walking seems to take a lot of energy. That's why uh, we tell you to walk so that you can uh, uh, gain more energy. Uh, sitting, you get more concentration. So uh, we don't teach you lying down meditation. We know you will sleep. So anyway, <laughs> you can't do that anyway at night. So there are four postures which are very important. Uh, sitting posture, uh, then walking, standing, and lying down. So bring a balance. Uh, if you feel that you are low on energy, you take a walk. If you feel uh, you are sleepy, uh, it's better to take a walk. If you feel you are restless, then it's better maybe you sit a little bit down so, you, so that you balance this energy. So it's very, very common, this energy to, uh, to get imbalanced. So I, and I know during retreats, some people cut out corners. When it's time to sit, they just sit. And then when it's time to walk, they just continue sitting. When they come back to meditation, they start hitting the wall. It's because they are not balancing this energy. So this meditation, the Buddha, the way he designed it, is all to help us to go through to this, uh, to go uh, through this journey safely, drive safely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, try to uh, balance uh, these uh, energies by doing walking meditation, sitting meditation, and whatever it takes to to really uh, get this energy. The Buddha said, for one whose mind is uplifted by joy, the body uh, becomes tranquility. We have seen that. But he d that's where we stopped uh, yesterday. But uh, there's something the Buddha continued from there. He said, when the body and the mind is, tra is tranquil, the mind becomes happy. When the mind is happy, it becomes concentrated. That's the second Fact of enlightenment we are going to discuss. Concentration. This is our best. It's a hot subject. Pay attention. <laughs> How to get concentration. <laughs> it's not in the newspaper, I know. <laughs> San Francisco General, what do you call it? <laughs> He's not going to tell you how to concentrate. But it's a really hot topic. Because I always hear people saying that. But there's always a, p a mistake people make. They think that you, you, you have to first get concentrated and be happy. But these instructions, it seems that you have to really be happy, then get concentrated. People skip gears. <laughs> so there's a process to this thing, you know. So always people, they are seeking concentration, but they're not willing to go through whatever it takes to get there. Concentration factor of enlightenment. Samadhi is the Pali word for concentration. Samadhi is a very common word. 
I think you're familiar with it. It's, uh, it basically means one-pointedness of mind that from Buddhist psychology. That's what it means. It's, it has a characteristic of uh, non-dispassion. That's according to the scriptures. Non-distraction, uh, non-scatteredness. And its function is to help to focus all other associated mental states. So when a mind is scattered in all places, it weakens your mental power. And when it is collected, it is very powerful. As a young boy, uh, I used to t like physics. And uh, we did an experiment that I, I was really fascinated. They brought two lenses. One was a convex lens. I don't know, I, I don't know whether you have these things in America, but in Africa, the, in physics class, they brought us a convex lens and a concave lens. So we went out in the sun, and then my teacher put a convex lens in the sun, always collected in the paper, and it was, it was burnt. I said, wow, how can this happen? <laughs> and then he brought a convex lens and put it in the sun, and all the rays were scattered, and the paper wasn't, it wasn't burnt. This is what happens. When we focus our mind and get concentrated, we will burn all these things we are complaining about. Emotions, depression, grief, sorrow, restlessness, pain, and all that. It will burn those things. So the key is to get concentrated, because a concentrated mind sees things as they really are. So if you have that image and try always to work your way and get concentrated, you are go the whole world is going to open for you. Focus. Whether it means driving, if you are not focused, you are likely to cause some dents in your car. Probably that's an understatement. <laughs> Dent. <laughs> so concentration is very, very important, even in our daily life. You know, day life is very important. But in meditation, it's even very, very important. Of course, concentration is the opposite of sensual desires. Craving for sensual desire. You remember that grasping? And you should distinguish between a craving for sensual desire and desire. Desire to come for the retreat, to, uh, to have a retreat here. Desire to have a good family, good job, help other people. It's okay. It's awesome because it's desire that leading to happiness, desire that leads to desire less. But when I talk about desire here, uh, craving for sensual desire, it's that grasping, not want to let go. Okay, they will take my arm, but I won't really let go. <laughs> they hold on tightly like this. So don't get me wrong, people don't make that distinction. This is called tanha in Pali. The other one, uh, which is awesome, is called chanda. That means wish to do, will to do. Uh, come to meditation is desire, but it's a, a will to do, chanda. It's okay. But I'm talking about uh, concentration opposes the attachment to sensual pleasures. Because people are, going to, are getting worried here, maybe. They think that when they leave uh, Spirit Rock, they won't have any desire because they've been practicing concentration. How am I going to tell my friends <laughs> that I can't eat ice cream, I can't do this, <laughs> I'll become a piece of a log? 
I have no desire to eat, <laughs> to go for vacation. So I have to make this distinction because always people get this wrong. And even when I talk like this, people are going to write to me, Bante, shouldn't we have any desire? <laughs> then they will ask you, what's your desire? It's very, very important to draw this distinction. What is tanha, craving for sensual desire? And what is chanda, will to do? That's very important. Concentration is the opposite of sensual desire because concentration is to focus your mind and sensual desire, craving for sensual desire is always uh, out there. Yeah? I want this, I want this, I want to see this, I want to do this. So it's always scatteredness. It's like a convex lens. Scatters, scatters. And concentration is like a convex lens focused to see what the true nature of even sensual desire. You can see the true nature of sensual desire as we've been, uh, as you heard from my instruction yesterday about uh, the, the five hindrances. So you, you focus your mind. Now, the problem is that people want to get uh, attachment, attached to this sensual desire. They think that their life will be very dull and bored, bored, uh, to be full of boredom if they don't crave for something or an ice cream and all that. So then what happens is that they want to have both. They want to have the attachment to sensual desire and also they want to be concentrated. It's just like uh, they want to have their cake and eat it. Good luck. If you have ever had any difficulty in concentration, it's, it's the reason for that is either you are, there's some attachment to sensual desire or any unawesome state. Like maybe uh, you have maybe hatred or rigidity, agitation, uncertainty, uh, all unskilled states of mind. If you still have them, it's very difficult to concentrate. That's why in the first absorption, deep concentration state, the Buddha said that quite secluded from uh, sensual desire and unawesome states of mind, one gains uh, the first absorption, which is a, uh, this high level of concentration, which has uh, initial thoughts and sustained thoughts and joy and happiness and one-pointedness of mind. So this is a, a kind of a formula that, that the Buddha gave. It's all there. It's all mapped out for you. So if you have had any problem in gaining concentration, it's because there's something that is really nagging you. Let's say either it's restlessness, it's sleepiness. If these things are present, it's very difficult to concentrate. Obsessive thinking is one of them. At IMS, last time I was giving a talk and I coined something which is very common. I, it's, it's not any, I haven't come across it in any book of psychology. It's called compulsive obsessive thinking syndrome. <laughs> it's the thick hindrance. 
you have five, but also that is a hindrance because you cannot concentrate if you're just thinking about anything under the sun. People want to think. <laughs> and actually, outside the world there, if you don't think, people they think you're not, you're useless. So we have to think there. <laughs> when you come here, we have to distinguish what we are thinking. <laughs> Is it awesome? Is it unawesome? Is it skillful? Is it unskillful? But people, they don't do that distinction, so they just bunch every, everything together, thinking. They all think, 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 and on and on. Forget about it. If you're really thinking all the time and not being mindful of thinking, you cannot get concentration. So being mindful of thinking is one thing, and being caught up in your thought is another. So you have to draw that distinction too. There are three levels of concentration, and I think you have experienced some of this. Uh, one of them is moment-to-moment -moment concentration. That's when you're mindful. From moment to moment, you can gain concentration. That's the instruction you've been getting. Be mindful of this. Be mindful of that. Be mindful of this. So you, you kind of pick bits and pieces here and there. So you, you start uh, gathering them. So I think that's probably accessible. There is another kind of concentration. It's called axis concentration, given in the scriptures. And this usually comes when you have uh, gotten rid of uh, five, the five hindrances we talked about, when at least you have temporarily suppressed them, sure deal concentration will happen. Even the higher states of concentration, more than that. And it's an invitation for you to try. There's even a specific kind of uh, uh, meditation. It's called jhanas. I don't know if you have heard about this. That's even a higher level of concentration. Uh, it, it's called jhanas. That's when you really get immersed in all these uh, uh, deep uh, concentration levels. But uh, this is not what we've been teaching here. Uh, at least we, uh, you, you must have gained some moment-to-moment -moment concentration and access concentration when you even temporarily uh, suppress, uh, overcome uh, some hindrances. So according to the Buddha, uh, he gave the instruction again uh, for... Uh, gaining this factor of enlightenment, concentration factor of enlightenment. He said that be mindful when <laughs> concentration is present. Are you doing that? <laughs> when concentration is present, you, be, you have to be mindful of concentration. That's the instruction. We usually do, do not do that. <laughs> be mindful. Sometimes when we give instruction, be mindful, people think that, oh, it's just being careful. So they, they kind of uh, dilute this word to mean something very simple. Actually, it's really very active and very involved kind of mental state to be mindful. I like my teacher gave a very good word that really I think most people who are very sophisticated are going to relate to it. He said that make a mindful effort to understand concentration, to understand this. So there's mindfulness, there's effort, which, you have already, uh, which they have already discussed about, and understanding. So 
it's, these three things are involved in just mindfulness. I, you, people say just mindfulness. No, it's not just mindfulness. It's really very profound just to be mindful. I mean to be mindful. So all these factors, uh, th three mental states come together in order to see things uh, whenever you apply mindfulness. The only thing we don't want to spend a lot of time to tell you, be, uh, make mindful effort to understand. So it's a lot of words involved, but you know that all the three facts are, factors are together. Uh, energy, understanding, and mindfulness. When uh, concentration is absent, also you get to know that. That's the second way of doing it. The third, you have to understand the condition that have uh, led to this concentration. And I think this is very, very important. And I use it, I use it in my practice too, and I, some commentaries uh, recommended it. It's like when you drive somewhere, don't throw the map. Because when you have to go there, you have to get another map. Many people do the same thing. They drive to places 10 times. Every time they go, they have to get a map. <laughs> so if you gain concentration, try to remember. In fact, sati, the Pali word sati, mindfulness, means to remember. If you get concentration, try to remember at least the way how you got into that state. Otherwise, it's going to, it's going to be difficult <laughs> next time. I know we have, got to Dallas, we have gone to Dallas Airport many, many times. Last time I was going to Africa, somebody drove me to Dallas Airport. He got lost. I thought I'm going to miss my flight. I said, why didn't you keep the directions? <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> so every time we come to meditate POC 2008 and then 2009, we keep on getting lost. <laughs> Keep the, your direction, how you got into tranquility. How did you get into concentration? Keep those directions. Remember, after you finish the retreat, you remember one day when you got into a little bit of concentration. Then, oh, this is what I did. I was focusing on this and all this. And then next time, at least it would be a, a good start. I mean, this is my experience. People getting lost all the time. And I know they've been coming for, to Bavan 20 years. As, and I'm going to catch a flight to my country, and you get lost. I'm going to miss a flight. <laughs> Don't miss the flight to enlightenment <laughs> by just <laughs> by forgetting your directions. That's a little tip for today. Mindfulness of breathing can really lead you to concentration. Actually, it's amazing, mindful of breathing. is a simple technique. I mean, you don't have to have a PhD in psychology or Buddhist psychology or metaphysics really to focus on your breath. It just takes even four to five seconds, actually. But why is it very hard, why is it very hard for people to focus? And sometimes people think that it really is not going to lead them anywhere. But if you look at the physiological effects of breathing, uh, it's amazing. As you continue breathing, you need less energy, less metabolism, less, 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 less oxygen. Less breathing rate, all these things lowers down. When you breathe, you must have experienced it before you start breathing very hard, very hard. And as the time goes on, you are calm and peaceful. So your breathing is just fairly 
very uh, less. Breathing rate is lessening as you continue breathing down, slowing down. It re leads to relaxation. Some people, uh, they need a massage to relax. When you meditate here, you don't have to go to a massage parlor. You just relax. It's amazing. Less tension. Of course, the psychological effects of meditation, uh, mindfulness of breathing, that can lead even to concentration, is when your muscles are relaxed, uh, you feel uh, very light, and gladness arises, and you have joy and tranquility and happiness, and that's what leads to concentration. By just focusing on mindfulness of breathing, all these things are possible. Again, paying mindfulness attention uh, to, uh, the, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the primary condition that uh, causes uh, the arising of uh, concentration is very important. One is a sign of serenity. The, the, uh, that's serenity, serenity itself as well as its object. So you have the object of mindfulness mindfulness of breathing, that's your object of, of meditation. So if you continue focusing on that, paying uh, mindful attention, turning again and again to this object, you are likely to get concentration. So you keep on paying, paying wise attention. Paying wise attention to the sign of non-dispersal. So you make sure that you focus your mind so that it's not scattered. That helps a lot. Of course there are methods like uh, uh, like uh, a good friend, of course, that helps. And, and then uh, balancing the faculties, balancing energy and concentration. So when you have a lot of restlessness, it's a good indication that you have excess energy over concentra uh, concentration. So you balance it by either taking a walk. or So you find out some ways you can uh, shed off some energy. Uh, at least so that you can balance things or you, you, you deal with concentration. Maybe it's time to lie down because lying down you don't use a lot of energy. So that will chop off a lot of energy. Sleepiness is a good indication that uh, there's less energy and more concentration. So you find a way of balancing things. That will help you to uh, concentrate. Another way is to cultivate, this is according to the scriptures, uh, cultivate investigation of Dharma. Uh, energy and joy, uh, the talk you, uh, you, you had yesterday. So you incite the mind, like activating the mind, and give it kind of uh, more spice, more boost. <laughs> so you get uh, 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 that way, co concentration. Sometimes you need maybe to restrain the mind by just cultivating tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So equanimity talk will come tomorrow. So. Sometimes you need to, if the mind is overactive, then you, you, you try to calm down and uh, concentrate. Avoid restless people, restless, peop restless people and associate with people who are, who are more concentrated. It seems non-Buddhist, but actually it's not. <laughs> if you have to, this is the, 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 the trick, if you have to, do it out of compassion. 
it doesn't mean to cut people out of your life. You have concentration, you don't have. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of my way. <laughs> Sometimes people ask monks, what do they do for, for fun? <laughs> I get this question. <laughs> sometimes people ask me if I do exercises, but sometimes people are very sweet. They ask me, what do you do for fun? Do you listen to music? <laughs> do you do this? I like that question. So actually, one of the benefits of meditation and concentration is the Buddha mentioned is pleasant dwelling in happiness, in the, in the happiness of the truth, of the Dhamma, of the way how things are in this present life. So you dwell in happiness when you have concentration. The Buddha did it, actually. <laughs> he said that uh, uh, before he was a naked ascetic because he, he imitated uh, ascetics in India at that time, he did, not, he, did not, he did not move his body or open his mouth for seven days and nights, and he sat enwrapped in bliss. Wow, what a good vacation. How about that for, how about that for a start? <laughs> I have some few tips to give you uh, if you want to gain concentration easily. Is one is whenever you practice meditation, try to maintain continuity of mindfulness. That's the key. It's not difficult to be mindful, but to remember to be mindful is very, very important, one teacher said. So try to have continuity of your practice. Concurrence, as you observe the object, try to make sure that they are concurrent with the observing mind and what you are observing. That's a tip. Another one is slowing down. I don't mean you start really crawling. and <laughs> Try to slow down every activity. You gain concentration easily. Okay, I offer this for your reflection. Let us sit for a moment or two. There is no concentration without wisdom. There is no wisdom without concentration. One who has both concentration and wisdom is close to peace and emancipation. attain awakening or enlightenment or liberation in this lifetime. Thank you very much for your attention.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.